0: Let's have a word of prayer then. Almighty God, in you we live and move and have our being. In you we exist. In you we find the meaning of our lives. We find the joy of our lives. We find the purpose of our lives. In you we find everything that we need for experiencing life as you meant it to be for you are the author of life. We thank you that you reveal these truths to us and so many more in the written word of Scripture, in the history of your people, in the thought and reflection of the faithful who've come before us, in the love and encouragement and question and challenge of those who walk this journey with us. Some of those folks are here with us today. In all of these things, we know that you call us to pay attention to the deep things of creation. You call us to give our mind and our thought and our time to the things that truly feed our souls, the things that truly give us life, especially to Him who came to show us that life, to live that life, to welcome us into that life that is abundant and eternal, We thank you for these things and we remember them now as we open Scripture and as we open our hearts to its truth. Transform us and renew us, strengthen us and guide us, give us what we need for the living of this day, for Jesus' sake, amen. Friends, we are continuing our look at the major names, titles, designations, understandings of Jesus. And today, we're looking at one of the Scripture passages, one of the many, where Jesus refers to Himself and is referred to as the Son of Man. But we're going to be looking at the whole passage. There's an awful lot in this. So let's turn to John 12, verses 20 to 36, and I will read that for us, and then we'll start to take it apart. Now, among those who went up to worship at the festival were some Greeks. They came to Philip who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and said to him, "'Sir, we wish to see Jesus.' Philip went and told Andrew. Then Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. Jesus answered them, "'The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. "'Very truly, I tell you, unless a grain of wheat "'falls into the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain. "'But if it dies, it bears much fruit.'" Those who love their life lose it, and those who hate their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. Whoever serves me, the Father will honor. Now my soul is troubled, and what should I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it is for this reason that I have come to this hour. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to indicate the kind of death he was to die. The crowd answered him, We have heard from the law that the Messiah remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Jesus said to them, The light is with you for a little longer. Walk while you have the light, so that the darkness may not overtake you. If you walk in the darkness, you do not know where you are going. While you have the light, believe in the light, (coughs) so that you may become children of light. After Jesus had said this, he departed and hid from them. (coughs) Catherine, would you bring me a glass of water, please? Thank you. Okay, this is complex. This is difficult. This is profound. This is deep. This is a lot of stuff going on. This event where Jesus has a conversation with some of the Greeks who've came, come to see Him occurs a few days before the Passover. Thank you, dear. A few days before the Passover and the Passion. You know what the Passover and the Passion is all about. In the way John has told the story, Jesus has just raised Lazarus from the dead, a kind of a miracle to surpass all miracles. Jesus has been anointed with costly perfume, in a sense a symbolic anointing of His body before death. The body would always be anointed after death. He's come into Jerusalem in the triumphant palm procession, what we call Palm Sunday. We celebrate it on Palm Sunday. And in that procession, that entry into Jerusalem, there are all sorts of things going on in the way Jesus does it and in what people say that indicate that people have this hope, this sense that perhaps Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah. We're also told that the chief priests and some of the Pharisees with them are very, very upset. They're very, very threatened. They're very, very worried about this new leader, this teacher, this rabbi, and they're actually plotting to kill Jesus. And they're plotting also to kill Lazarus, who's been resurrected. We hear no more about Lazarus, but of course we hear a lot more about Jesus. So we are told... That among those who came to worship at the festival, some of those who came to worship at Passover were some Greeks. Now that should say something to us right there. It was the Jews who celebrated the Passover. This is the season of the Passover. The Jews will be celebrating Passover in a few weeks. It always occurs in conjunction with Easter because Easter happened because of the Passover. There's lots going on there that you well know. There were some, though, who came to celebrate, some of the hundreds of thousands of people that came into Jerusalem from all over that region, some who were not actually Jewish by their heritage, by their racial ethnic lineage. Some perhaps came just because it was a big celebration, they wanted to see what it was going on. Others came because we know that there were some people who were not Jews, but they had accepted, they had kind of adopted the practice of the Jewish faith for their own. They saw in it a, a moral code, an ethical code, a way of organizing life that they were very attracted to. So Judaism, in a sense, even though it really did not proselytize, it did sometimes attract other people. We don't know exactly who these Greeks were or what was going on. We just know they're not Jews. That's the significant point in this story, really. They're not Jews. They, in a sense, should have no interest in Jesus, but probably they've heard something about Him. They've heard the hubbub, the uproar. They've heard the stories. Maybe they've heard Jesus, seen Him from afar, and now they'd like to have an audience with Him. And so they go, interestingly, to Philip and Andrew. Philip and Andrew are the only two of the twelve disciples who have Greek names. Those names are not Hebrew names. They're, They're Greek names. And so I like to think that perhaps at least one of the Greeks was related to Philip or Andrew, or somehow maybe they were cousins or they they had some sort of relationship with each other. Who knows? We don't know any of that. All we know, and what John wants us to know, is that they were interested enough in Jesus to come and go to the trouble to try to find a way to get to visit with Jesus, And then, of course, the conversation ensues. We don't know what their questions were. We hear all the way along that Jesus answered, and we hear His answers, so we can go back and surmise what their questions were. But Jesus goes into then a long conversation, as He does through most of the rest of John, actually, as we read the story. A long conversation back and forth with both the disciples and the Greeks and then whoever else will listen to him that reveals a lot of what he's doing, a lot of what he's thinking, a lot of what is happening in the Passion. And that's part of what we have today. So the first thing Jesus says is, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. So my voice is shaky today, so you're going to do some talking today. (laughs) What does Jesus mean? When he says, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. His crucifixion's coming, exactly. We know that. The disciples and those who heard him did not necessarily know that, right? All along, Jesus drops these hints, these clues, kind of pretty much flat out says some interesting things are going to be going on. But it still comes as a surprise to the disciples, right? That's part of the story of the gospel as Jesus appears as a Messiah, but he doesn't do the things that we think the Messiah should have done, <laughs> right? But that hour is coming now when he's going to be cru- crucified. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified, okay? Let's talk about that phrase, Son of Man. In your Bibles, is that capitalized as a title? Okay. What is a Son of Man? Yeah, Jesus took on human form. We say Jesus was human, fully human. That's something the church had to struggle with and wrestle with for three or four hundred years, and in fact still does wrestle with in some sense. We still have conversation about what it means for Jesus to be completely human. A lot of folks believe that Jesus was Only completely human. Had a conversation yesterday. One of the very faithful Christians and followers uh, in our Bible study yesterday said, I really don't believe that Jesus was divine. I believe he was a a man. Um, And and that's okay. That's not Orthodox Christian theology. But when we say a son of man, uh, in a very simple sense, we're simply saying a human being, right? As opposed to one of the other designations of Jesus, son of God. What's a son of God? A divine being, something that comes from God. Now, why is it capitalized, though? Son of Man does not have to be capitalized. It becomes a title for Jesus. It was a title before Jesus. It was a designation. If you go back into the Old Testament, and if we had hours and hours and hours and gobs of time, we would look up all of the references in the scriptures where this title is used the Son of Man, all through the Old Testament. You have the prophets and others introducing this character into the thought of Israel, into the future thinking of Israel about a son of man that God will give, who will be perhaps the Messiah, maybe a great servant, a great prophet. It's unclear exactly what this son of man, what this human being will do, but he will be a human being that will have a very special role. (coughs) Jesus uses that role for himself. I am a human being, he says, who has a very special role. Jesus ties himself in some sense to that Old Testament line of thought that talks about a gift of a person, a gift of a man, really, who will usher in a new age of understanding of God who will welcome people into a stronger relationship with God who will lead the nation of Israel to become a stronger nation all of those different things that in some sense was expected of the Messiah now Jesus says I'm the son of man essentially now it's come now the time has come for the son of man to be glorified and then the rest of what follows is a description of what that glorification is all about. Let's talk about the word glorify for a minute. That's one of those great theological words that I think we don't often think about what it actually means because we know it's a religious word, therefore it's good to use it, right? What does it mean to glorify something? To hold it up and honor it. Yes, yes. You hold it up and say, this is really cool stuff, right? Absolutely, that's part of it. There's some other shades of meaning as well. What else? Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. We we think of glory as something that's filled with light, something that's that's filled with a with a dazzling power. Sure, sure. What else? Amplify, yeah. Who said amplify? You get a gold star. Amplify is a good term, yeah. When we when we glorify something, we we elevate it, we magnify it, we we hold it up because we say there's something special going on in it, right? There's something meaningful going on in it. Um, Let's think about… here's a way that we use the term uh, glorify, okay? We sometimes will speak of something that is very ordinary, but it's been spruced up, it's been puffed up, it's been uh, gussied up a little bit, and we say it's glorified, right? You know what I'm talking about? That's what we mean by glorify. So when we're glorifying Jesus, when the Son of Man is going to be glorified, we're we're lifting it up for special consideration, special honor. We're we're amplifying. We're we're, we're saying this is something big, right? Um, We're we're saying that there's something special going on with Jesus. And then we need to look at what Jesus' description of what that glorification consists of, right? Right? Let's, let's go here for just a minute because I want to come back to this, but when we think of glory today, when you're, you see something that's glorified uh, or magnified, let's, let's, talk about, let's talk about buildings for a, for a second, and then we'll talk about people, right? How many of you live in plain little cracker box houses? Anybody here live in a plain little cracker box house? Okay, I'd love to see your houses. That, that's a relative description, isn't it, right? How many live in mansions and palaces of glory dripping with gold leaf and stained glass and carved wood and servants in every room? Okay, the one is plain and simple, the other is glorified. They're both dwelling places, right, but one is glorified, yes, no, that's not wrong. That's, that's not wrong. And that's a necessary corrective. That's a necessary corrective to what I just said, right? When, when we, I, what, part of what I want to talk about is that we sort of self-glorify, right? When we think of glorifying, we make something bigger than it is. Jesus is pretty big stuff. <laughs> we don't have to make Jesus bigger than he is, right? Glorifying is looking at exactly what is going on, Right? When we look at something that has been falsely glorified, we look underneath it, well, that's just, you know, that's just all puffed up. You're exactly right. You're exactly right. What is the glory of Jesus? What is this glorification that's going to happen? Jesus describes that for us in the rest of this conversation. Say it again. The The resurrection, yeah. There's discussion of resurrection here, yes. Before resurrection, though, what happens? Death. Death, exactly. Death and resurrection, right? Let's take this apart line by line. Truly, I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain, but if it dies, it bears much fruit, okay? Who's Jesus talking about? What's Jesus talking about? Himself, of course, of course. He's getting ready to die, and then something much bigger will come from that, okay? That's a cool thing, isn't it? Great. Amy, I'm ready for you to die today so that more stuff can happen. You ready? You wish you had never sat there, didn't you? I know. (laughs) That's been your spot for years. It's a great thing, right? 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 It is so easy for us to look back at the end result and say, wasn't that great of Jesus to do that? But let's go back to who Jesus is. Who is Jesus? He's just said he's a son of man. He's a human being. How many of you would immediately sign up today to die today for something great that's going to happen later? Yeah. Can we find somebody else? You know, pick on people in the back row, right? (laughs) right? Unless a grain of wheat dies. Now remember Jesus has just said the Son of Man is going to be glorified. People are kind of wondering, what does that mean? Who are you? The conversation continues. We look to look at the whole thing. Then he gets really explicit. Verse 25, those who love their life lose it, and those who hate their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. How many of you love your life? Do you love having life? Do you love being alive? Okay, tough, you got to lose it. (laughs) We all love our life, don't we? We love being alive. Some of us would change some things, right? And there are some who would change a lot of things, but still what we want is to be alive. It's so easy to read these passages and go immediately to the good stuff and skip over the hard stuff, isn't it? Isn't it? Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. Whoever serves me, the Father will honor. What does it mean to follow Jesus? Right here, what does Jesus say? Believe in Him. him. Trust Him. him. Let's select Love. love. Love is good. Yeah, I like love. Serve Him. Give up your life for Him. him. Jesus has just said, I'm going to go die. Follow me. That means you come die too, doesn't it? Give up your will. will. Okay? (laughs) That works for me some of the time when I like what you decide. But if I don't like what you decide, then I want to do what I decide, <laughs> doesn't it? <laughs> Means who said turn from sin? Yeah, yeah. Turn, turn from your way to His way. Our way ultimately always leads to sin because it's a self-centered way, right? So we, uh, we die to sin and we come alive to all that is good, but that's not easy. That's not easy. So, we're going to die with Jesus. If you follow me, there I will be also. I think that Jesus is doing His best to describe what He's going to be doing so that once He had done it, people could look back and they could say, now we understood what you're doing. But then they had to figure it out for their own lives, right? Let's keep looking at this and then we'll take it apart some more. Yeah, I would agree with you. Jesus doesn't expect everybody to go die, to go be martyred. Most of us live in a world in which that has never really been much of an option. Have, have any of you lived in a place or a situation where that was a real option? Where you might be martyred because of your faith? Where following Jesus might mean that you're going to be killed? Anybody here lived in a context like that? Well, you all need to come to Syria with me. Or to certain countries in Africa or to Pakistan or to lots of places in the world where following Jesus means the real possibility of dying just because you followed Jesus, right? How many of you have had an opportunity to do something for Jesus that you know was, uh, as we say, the Christian thing to do? but maybe you backed away from it because it would cost you some money or cost your reputation or cost your friends. These are real issues, right? Yep, yep. Turkey's a good example of that. North Korea would be an example of that. There are lots of places in the world where overt Christian expression uh, will get you into serious trouble, might even get you killed, right? There are Christians in all of those places, Uh, Iran is one of those places. Um, Iran is a fascinating country. Um, The the church is growing in Iran, we think, faster than anywhere else in the world right now. Uh, I say we think because it's hard to identify something that is a secret underground movement, right? Uh, But there's lots of evidence that's coming anecdotally. Um, Egypt is another of those places. You have to be careful how you function as a Christian in Egypt, even though 10% of the population in Egypt is Christian and that there are lots of churches growing in Egypt, lots of churches being planted, but you still have to be careful how you talk about that, especially coming in from outside the culture, right? All of those are very real situations that I think you and I need to study and participate in to some extent and, and learn about so that we can understand what Jesus is saying here. This is not follow me to the cross and give up chocolate for 40 days. That just hit a nerve with somebody over <laughs> Right? The giving up the chocolate is to help remind us what the real giving up is about. And we do not live in a country, thank God, where that's a real issue in question. Yeah, we do live in a country now where there's things happening on Sunday morning that we'd rather do than go to church, and we call that persecution. Big duh. That's a theological term, by the way, big duh, yeah. (laughs) Now my soul is troubled. What should I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it is for this reason that I've come to this hour. That's kind of theologized language. Jesus says, what am I supposed to do? As a human being, I say, God, let's come up with a different plan here. Let's do this a different way. Is that what I'm supposed to ask for? I can't do that because this is what I came to do. This is what I'm here for. Have any of you ever done something that actually cost you something? Let's not talk necessarily about your life, but that cost you something because you knew you had to do it. That's what you were there for. Has that ever happened with anybody here? Maybe if it hasn't, maybe you haven't paid attention to God. Now, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not coming down on you, but it is an interesting question to ask. If you have never suffered some because of what you believe and because of what you need to do because of what you believe, have you really followed Jesus? That's a very good question to ask, not that I want you to suffer not that I want me to suffer. And what does suffering mean? Suffering... Well, yeah, what does suffer mean? Many things that we think of suffering really often. Well, yeah, lots of things that we think of as suffering are not really suffering, right? And we're not talking about suffering that's not chosen. We, we suffer, you know, the loss of people we love. We suffer disease. We suffer lots of things that happen to us that are the common lot of humanity. We're talking about the suffering that comes because of conscious decisions that you make to do things that you need to do because that's what following jesus means yes jesus did later on the garden of gethsemane he says god if it be possible let this cup pass from me right yeah yeah jesus got to the point where it's okay let's not do it this way (laughs) right the son of man says that a human being says that even jesus said that even jesus said that right This is is lifting up, glorifying, if you will, the humanity of Jesus. This is focusing clearly on the humanity of Jesus. And I, I think we have to do that so that we understand that as a human being, Jesus sacrificed His life. Now, He did that also as God, but for God, that'd be easy, right? Hi, I'm God. Yeah, go ahead and kill me. Ha ha, you can't kill me, right? It's the superhero thing. Sure, you know, shoot me if you want to. I know I'm not going to die. There's, that's not anything special, right? You know you're not going to die. Did Jesus know He was going to be resurrected? Yes. But why did He try to get around it? What's that? It hurts. It hurts. And maybe I would propose to you maybe Jesus... Knew, but he didn't know. Right? Oh, on the cross he said, why have you forsaken me? At that point, now, we'd love to ask him, what did you mean when you said that, Jesus? There was no opportunity for that later. That's one of the things I do want to ask him about sometime. Not anytime soon, Jesus, but but sometime, okay? (laughs) Right? Why have you forsaken me? You know, that's the humanness, yes, yes, yes. There are several reasons given for why Jesus would say, why have you forsaken me? One is because the weight of the sin of the world was on him. Sin separates us from God, Jesus. Even God was, think of it this way, God was separated from God by the weight of the sin of the world. Yes, that's a very good answer. That's only an answer, though, right? An other answer which and both may be true at the same time, is that Jesus was a very human being. No human being wants to go die. That's not the first option for anybody that I know of, is it? Of course not. And so we need, I think we need to look very carefully and hold this humanity side of Jesus up and never let it go, partly because that helps us connect with Jesus right how many of you think you can be like jesus right that's a big question we try right i think that we should think that we can be like jesus because jesus was a human being like we are human beings and he was able to do amazing things and and if you look at the history of the church then others did things like jesus did jesus wasn't the only one to be crucified Peter was crucified. Many of the original disciples were. Many still are today, not necessarily crucified, but executed. There are people who live out the call to follow Jesus even unto death. It is possible, in fact, God expected it, Jesus expected that you and I would begin to accomplish, at least at some level, the same things that Jesus accomplished because he was human and he was accomplishing them. He was also God, of course. He was connected to God. He was tied to God. But everything that Jesus said was, you pray to God and you go do a miracle. You can do the same things that I've done. He said that to the disciples. He said, be perfect, even as I am perfect. Right? Jesus fully expected, not that we we could become the Son of God... (laughs) but then in this human life we could live the way that he had lived this connects us to his humanity i think it, if we go only to uh, jesus divinity and say well jesus was god you know that's fine he knew he was going to die he knew he was going to live etc 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 that that decreases that that takes away from the sacrifice that jesus actually made as a human being for us and it helps you appreciate jesus more to me it does does that make sense to you so a voice comes, I have glorified it, I will glorify it again. The crowd, some thinks it's thunder, some says an angel has spoken to him. Where else in Scripture do we hear a voice speaking? The baptism in particular, yeah. Some people say this was the voice at the baptism and John just gets it put in the wrong place. I think it's fully possible that God could have spoken more than once. <laughs> to Jesus and to the crowds. Notice what Jesus says. He said, the voice is here for your sake, not for mine. How many of you have heard a voice from God? How many of you have had an experience with God, maybe not a voice, but some kind of experience with God that was an unmistakable experience? Yeah. Wow. So, right after your husband asked for a divorce, you heard that voice from God, and then you took the best nap you'd ever taken. Yeah. I partly restate that so everybody hears it and so it gets recorded because that's a sacred thing. You have just described a sacred moment, a place where the divine intersects with human life. Now, I could ask all of you to share, many of you would share, many of you will not share about the experiences that you've had with God, whether it's a voice or a feeling or an angel or whatever else it is, because it's too personal, because you're not quite sure exactly what it was like because maybe you shared it with someone before and they laughed at you or didn't believe you and you just don't want to go there again. There are some of you who have never had that kind of experience, but still you believe. I've had similar experiences, not so much voices, but feelings, and I've heard of many people speak of voices, maybe not always audible voices, although I have heard some talk about audible voices. That's a common human experience, especially for people of faith. People who don't have faith want to tell us it doesn't happen, but I want to lift up the millions of people who say that it does happen, and that it happens at important and special times. It happens at life-saving times, usually, and life-giving times. You needed, at that moment, when your world had just fallen apart, you needed to hear that it wasn't going to, and so God gave you that. Yeah, yeah. A voice speaks. The crowd hears the voice. They're not exactly sure how to describe it, but, but that's very common when God appears because God is not like everything else that we experience. And when God shows up, we're oftentimes not exactly able to describe what happens. But God shows up and says, I have glorified you. I will glorify you again. I'm with you. In the midst of this whole conversation, Jesus as a human being is opening up with other people about what he thinks God is going to do in his life and about what he must do with his life, and God is there with him. And that happens all the time. I say that partly so that those of you do, who do not yet have that experience, may never have that experience, can be strengthened by it. It strengthens me when I hear that someone else has had a similar experience to mine, right? Right? And when I hear others talk about even greater experiences than I've had, I'm like, wow, that's incredible. God can do that. that. That strengthens our faith. Jesus goes on. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be driven out. What is he saying there? The devil. Satan. Yeah, the ruler of this world. Jesus understood that his trial, his crucifixion, his death was... A great battle between God and devil, between good and evil, between life and death, between love and hate. You can go keep going down that list probably. Those are the big ones, right? Do you understand anything in your life that happens as part of the great cosmic battle that goes on between God and devil? Is there anything that you've ever had to do or not do that was part of that battle between good and evil? It's one of the ways that Christians historically have understood the context of their lives. We believe God has already won the final battle, and so we have ultimate confidence that we always can win, and yet the battles go on, right? With evil. Anybody here battling evil today? It's bound to be at least one of you. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. You were blessed with people who taught you that that you live your life within the broader context of a real God in real time who you talk with all the time. I'm sort of rephrasing what you've said. In a constant conversation, God, shall we do this, shall we do that? What's up with this? What's up with that? God continually talks to you. God usually talks to us through the voice that He has spoken with For all of history, it's a voice that comes to us through the words of Scripture very often, right? What you just recited is a a scriptural paraphrase in some sense, right? That's how God talks. Uh, And and so we have learned that language from God and that truth from God. And then, in the continuing conversation, God keeps us going with Him. And, and, And that's part of what the discipleship business is all about, that continual conversation with God. And it's a broader conversation. We're not the only ones in it. We participate in a bigger conversation that other people have had. This is a conversation, in a sense, with God. I ask God to be here, right? He is. Uh, And we're conversing with each other. And in the midst of all of that, God is speaking through the words that we are saying and through the experiences that we are repeating, right? And in all of that, as your, your main point was, that means that God is there watching. God is a piece of this, whether anybody else is or not, And that's really important for us because most of the decisions that we make in our own private battle between good and evil is not a public thing, it's an inner thing, isn't it? Choosing the right way, choosing the way of God, and then following in that way. And obviously, Jesus' cosmic battle, you know, Jesus and the devil on the cross and all that kind of thing, that's a big battle. Our battles pale by comparison, but they are of one and the same kind. They are of the nature of reality, the reality that we live in, that Jesus was living in as a human being. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. What's that one about? How was Jesus lifted up from the earth? On the cross, right? That's the most obvious uh, illusion there, right? Right? You would be put on the cross, the cross would be erected, and your body is physically lifted above the earth. Lift high the cross, the love of God proclaiming that. I always want to sing a song from some of these things, right? <laughs> right? How else was Jesus lifted up? In the resurrection? In the, in the crucifixion? In the, in the ascension? Right? How do we lift up Jesus? in prayer? Have you ever put Jesus in front of somebody? Lifted Jesus up before them? I do that all the time. I'm expected to do that, but that's a lot of what I do, is in all the situations of life, people expect me to bring Jesus along, to lift Him up and say, here's Jesus. Here's what Jesus would say. Here's what Jesus would do. Here's what Jesus is saying to you. Here's what you need to hear from Jesus today. That's lifting up Jesus. You have that opportunity all the time, not just me. In fact, you have that opportunity in ways different from the ways that I have. Because I'm expected to do that, but you're not. You can surprise people. (laughs) And some people will ask you, not overtly usually, not directly, but they will ask you to bring Jesus into their life in so many different ways, and then you have an opportunity to do that when they don't want to ask me about it, but they will ask you, right? Let's go to the last seven days of your life, okay, if some of you can remember that far back. If you can't, go back three days. (laughs) Was there a conversation? Was there… How about just to this morning? Is that, is that, <laughs> is there, is there, was there an opportunity that you had in a conversation with somebody or some situation of life to bring Jesus into the equation? Think about that. Yeah, that's lifting Jesus up. Jesus says, when I'm lifted up, I will draw people to myself. Sometimes you lift up Jesus and people run the other way. That's true. Jesus knew that. But my experience is more people want to have an an authentic experience with Jesus, with the authentic Jesus, not the fake Jesus that we like, not the Jesus of our own making, the Jesus that we beat people over the head with sometimes, but the Jesus who puts his arm around people and says, it'll be okay. The Jesus who puts his arm around people and says, don't go there again. All those things about Jesus, right? When I'm lifted up, I will draw people to myself. He said this to indicate the kind of death he was to die. There we go back to the crucifixion. Of course, there's more to it. Then the crowd says, we've heard it said, we've heard from the law, that the Messiah remains forever, but how can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? The crowd is trying to figure out who Jesus is. They have a suspicion that he is Messiah. Now he's saying he's son of man. They also know their Bible. They know that there's been a long conversation about the son of man who God one day is going to give, who's going to do something great for Israel. They're not exactly sure what or how. And now this Jesus, who they think is Messiah, is calling himself son of man, and he's saying that he's got to die, and they're saying, but but the Messiah is always supposed to be with us. What is going on here? Do you see their confusion? you see their confusion? Yeah, eventually that confusion will be resolved. John is talking about that confusion here, number one, because it happened, the people were confused, but he's also going through the long discussion and conversation about Jesus that everybody has to go through if they're going to meet Jesus and learn who Jesus is and ultimately come to an understanding of, of what Jesus had done in the world, right? Why do you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is the Son of Man? Is He here forever or is He not here forever? There's a lot of confusion going on here, but those are the good questions to ask. There's a lot of questions in the Bible. Did you, have you noticed that? Real people ask real questions. It's always important to ask whatever the questions are. And then Jesus goes, in. there's so much material here. Jesus goes into a conversation about light. The light is with you for a little longer. Walk while you have the light so that the darkness may not overtake you. If you walk in the darkness, you do not know where you are going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become children of light. This is the first time we've talked about light here. I like to think that this this conversation here is actually highlights and bits and pieces of the bigger conversation. There had to have been some interchange going back and forth. Jesus says something and people say, but wait a minute, but what about? I've heard this, I've heard that. We're hearing the highlights of this. Jesus begins to talk about light and dark. What's that about? It's pretty obvious. We've talked about it before, right? Right? Jesus is the light. All of this I see in in the light of, in, in this perspective, that Jesus has said, I'm the son of man. Jesus will say lots of other things about himself. Lots of things will be said about him. You're the son of God. You're a prophet. You're a rabbi. You're this, you're that. All of that helps us understand who Jesus is, what he was doing, and why he's important to us. He's our salvation from what? Evil, sin, death. Those are pretty good ones, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, say it again. He's our daily sustenance, yes. Jesus talked an awful lot about, about walking with Him, going, journeying, traveling, realizing that we're not going to have the opportunity every day to maybe be martyred But every day you are going to have the opportunity to walk with Him, to to have that conversation with Him says, what are we doing here now, right? Just for today on this normal, average, ordinary day, right? I call my mom this morning on the way down here, I call her a lot now. Brief conversations, right, usually while I'm in the car, mom, what's going on today? Well, this and this and that, Ask me the same question, well, this and this and that, the normal stuff of life, right? But in that normal stuff of life, you are walking with Jesus, and you have an opportunity to either walk with Him or to not walk with Him. He calls it here light and dark, okay? Not that darkness is bad and light is good, but we function as creatures of light, don't we? We don't function very well when we're blind. That's what darkness is about. It's about the blindness of not seeing where you are or where you need to go or what's there in front of you. Without Jesus, you don't see any of that. Don McNeil. Is Julie here today? There's Julie. Don McNeil is very fond of saying, you can't see what you can't see. That's profound. (laughs) You can't see what you can't see. But you might need to see what you can't see. How are you going to see it? Jesus helps you see. And then when you see, you've got to go with Him. Isn't this cool stuff? What else, what else is percolating in your minds? Jesus brings hope to us. Jesus brings hope to us, yes. There's a lot of hope. Enough about the democratic debates. There's a lot of hopelessness in the world, right? And that's not just democratic. You know, if you look at our whole Let's just take the whole of our political situation in this country. What in the world is going on? And you know what? Most countries of the world, regardless of what they think at, at the moment about us, most countries of the world think that we're a phenomenal country. Most people in the world, if you say, you know, you could move wherever you want to move, the people that do want to move, want to move here. Isn't that interesting? So, political situations in other countries can be even worse than here. But Jesus gives us hope, doesn't He? And of course, it's not just about politics, right? I, get, I have the privilege of dealing with, with horrible situations in life all the time. All the time. But my job is to talk about Jesus in those things. So is yours right? Or to listen to Jesus in those things. Yeah, that keeps you going. There we go. He's our teacher. Absolutely. He guides us, says, here's what you're going to go, here's what you're going to do. Absolutely. Gives us those principles. Life will bring to you… I, this is something I wrote in a, in a wedding sermon years and years ago. Life will bring to you more sorrow than you can possibly imagine. I say that to young kids getting married. And that doesn't sound like a really happy, positive wedding thing, does it? I follow that up with saying, but life will also bring to you more joy than you can possibly imagine. And in both the sorrow and in the joy, Jesus is there with you to carry you through. Anybody here recently married? Anybody here remember getting married? I'm not going to ask if anybody here is sorry that you got married. That's another story, right? Right? We've been around long enough to know that life brings unimaginable sorrow and indescribable joy. And regardless of which or when or how or both at the same time usually, Jesus is there with you. You keep going. Yeah, yeah. That's fa- Yeah. Having a child is like growing your heart outside your body. Yeah. And then having a grandchild, it's even more so, isn't it? It's just, you know, to, to watch this, this person that you love more than yourself and understand the danger that they're in, and yet to entrust them to a loving God. Yeah, that, that's big. That's big. Wendy, you had your hand up. Regardless of all the pain and suffering and difficulty, and they have had plenty, still they praise God. Yeah. Yeah, and you find joy in that. You find joy in that. Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. Let's pray ourselves out of here. God, we thank you that you love us so much that you came to be with us as one of us, as a human being. We thank you that in his humanity, Jesus experienced all that we experience, and in his divinity he showed us the way to survive and to thrive and to flourish, as those who even in the midst of the struggle and pain of this life still can know deep joy and abiding peace and a conquering power that despite all the things that would take us away from you, still we are with you. Help us to be inspired by that vision, to be listening to that voice, and to show it and share it with others. For Jesus' sake, amen.